Thanks so much for joining us today on Leesburg Community Church's podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, including directions and service times, please visit leesburgcc.org. On our website, you can also find notes and daily devotionals based on this teaching. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you liked today's message. So we have been talking about happiness over the last week, and we'll head into it for another two or three weeks. And uh, what we're doing is we are uh, we're working our way through what Jesus said is kind of the roadmap towards happiness. And what we do typically in our lives, we discussed it last week, is we take all the ideas that we have of what will make us happy, right? We have our career, our opportunities, our families, our successes, our whatever we've deemed, our bank accounts, whatever that happens to be, that we've decided, hey, this is going to make us happy. And then we, we, like building blocks from when we were a kid, we stack all those up and we make this great big pyramid. The only problem is when one of those things tend to not go so well or it's kind of kicked us in the mouth here or there, then boom, that thing comes out. One of them comes out and the whole thing shatters and falls down. And we wind up really in these great states of depression, anxiety, frustration, and we're just at the end of our rope so many times. And we get to the end of whatever that season is and go, man, I just want to be happy. What's it going to take just to be happy? When we've looked across and spanned across our, our, really, not just our country, but our world, people have one consistent thing that they're searching after, and that's happiness. And here is Jesus starting in the very first sermon, the public sermon, you will, that's recorded. He starts with, hey, let me tell you how to be happy. And so this word blessed that's used in here literally translates, the literal translation is happiness. But it's not a happiness that's based on external circumstances. It's not a happiness that, that is outward in. It's a happiness that is inward out. It's one that is not contingent on those external circumstances. It is not affected. Now it is felt, but it is not affected. It is not shattered. It is not crushed. It is not destroyed by our outward circumstances. We might also refer to it as joy. We might refer to it as satisfaction. We might refer as contentment, as an absolute state of being where we are absolutely content in this life, even in the midst of a really crazy storm. Can we be that? Can we get there? Let's read what Jesus said about happiness. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, this is Matthew 5, starting in verse 1. He went up on a mountainside, sat down. His disciples came to him and began to teach them. That phrase is a very powerful statement. It is a statement of authority. He began to teach with great authority. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. There's the roadmap. And it starts with, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Literally what we said last week, that's when you come to the spiritual end of yourself. And say, Lord, I can't do it anymore. I can't find that contentment. I can't find that satisfaction. I can't find that peace. 
And no matter what I do, no matter how I try to build it up, it is escapable. I mean, it literally escapes. And so, Father, I need you. God, of all creation, I need you. I can't do this thing on my own anymore. I can't make it on my own. And his answer is, the kingdom is yours. Right? We've been searching for this earthly kingdom and this earthly reward. And he says, the kingdom of heaven is yours. What is the kingdom of heaven? It is him. So when we are poor in spirit and we're saying, I need you, what does he say? You got me because I have always been available to you. I have been waiting for you. I have made the way. I have paid the price. I have made every possible uh, 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 detail come to pass that you could have this relationship with me. All you've had to do is humble yourself and say, not my way and not by my will, Lord, but I need you. And that's it. That's not, a, that's not an action. That's a response. That's not a duty. That's a response of humility. That's just simply saying, Lord, I, I, I can't do it. And he says, so I give you. I give you the keys to the kingdom. I give you every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm. I make you my sons and daughters. I indwell you with the Holy Spirit. The same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead. I give that to you. Why? Because he loves us that much. Because he simply wants us to come to him and just say, I want you to be the author of my life. And now we're face to face with God. Now we see him in his presence, which, by the way, that word blessed, we talked about how important it is. We talked about that it's this sustaining type of happiness. We talked about that it is not, uh, it's not diluted or trashed or, 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 or wrinkled or anything else by our circumstances. But I need you to understand something else. So while that word means, yes, happiness and this, this really solid state of contentment, throughout Scripture, whenever it talks about God blessing someone, throughout Scripture, Page beginning to page end, it's always talking about the presence of God. When you come to God and say, I need you, your blessing is the presence of God. As he begins to unpack, what will it be that you will be blessed by? Each one of the things he unpacks for us, Jesus unpacks, each one of these steps, if you will, always ends in the same thing. Always begins and ends in the same way. We receive the presence of God in our life. All these other things in our life, they make a promise to be there and not leave us, but they fail us. All these other things make promises that they can't keep. And yet God says, to be blessed by me is to have my presence with you. And it's unshakable. It's irresistible. It does not falter or fail. That when I make a promise to always be with you and never forsake you, I will be there. Nothing else in all of life can satisfy and create happiness the way that God can. And he moves on from that and he says this, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. So he's telling us we can find happiness. In the midst of finding happiness, he's going, and now all you need to do is mourn. What is that? God, that's weird. That's like backwards. I spent my whole life trying to stay away from pain. I spent my whole life trying to ignore the bad things. I spent my whole life running the opposite way. If somebody thinks Something seems difficult. I'm running towards the easy. Come on. Do you know, you know how much I've done to avoid pain and you want me to mourn? Yeah. You see, when we come to God, poor in spirit, and say, I need you, it's impossible not to. 
Because what we do is now we're face-to-face with the living God. We're face-to-face with holiness. We're face-to-face with goodness. We're face-to-face with true love. We're face-to-face with purpose and meaning. And we begin to think back on the years of our life that we lived without it. We think back on all the times we pursued our end instead of God's end. We think back to all the ways that we've hurt people, all the ways that we've missed opportunities, all the sin that we've become entangled with, all the times that we chose wickedness instead of righteousness. We begin to think about that and the many, 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 many missed opportunities that we've had in life because we've been been pursuing our own goals and our own dreams and our own idea of what happiness is instead of God's. Because we've said, I am God, before we've said, Yahweh, the creator of all, is God. Before we've said Jesus Christ is God. And so we begin to mourn. And this mourning that's described, Jesus could have used nine different words in the Greek language to use for mourning. And all eight of them that he could have chosen before this one would have not spoken as sternly and as gut-wrenchingly and as painful as this word. This mourning is actually, the word used is actually the one used when you lose a child. And you go through the most gut-wrenching pain. And you are literally doubled over at the loss of a child. When we look back to the past of our life, after we've seen what God can give us and who he is, we double over and we begin to gut-wrenchingly regret all or most or much of life that was lived before that day that we said, yes, Lord, I need you. Her name is Heather. Her sister's name is Michelle. And uh, I got to know them when I was younger and in high school. And then uh, uh, Michelle at one point was a girlfriend of mine. And um, fast forward, I'm now married. And it's been several years later. We go to a church. And it turns out that Heather's going to the same church. And she has given her life to Christ and walking with Jesus and experiencing the freshness of an amazing relationship with him. And it's just awesome. We start talking, and I say, hey, yeah, how's Michelle doing? And she said, not good. She's not doing good at all, Tim. And I said, what's going on? And she says, you know, she knows that she needs God. She says, I need God. She goes, but she won't surrender her life. She keeps walking away from him instead of towards him. I keep talking. Every time I talk to her, she just breaks down and starts crying. And she says, stop, I can't. And I'll bring her to church, and she will just weep and mourn and weep and mourn. And, and she just sits through the entire service. And she goes, I can't take this. I don't want this. I want God, but I don't want this. And she leaves, and it takes forever to get me to come back or to talk to her again. And she just stays in that place. And I said, do you think it would be okay if I contacted her? And she said, yes. And I talked to my wife, and she said, yes. And so I gave her a call, and I just said, hey, how are you? What's going on? And blah, blah, blah. And we talked, and we tried to catch up. And I said, hey, is there any way you could come to church with, with me? And I'm going to be there with your sister and my wife. I'd love for you to meet her. I want you to know me as a, a Christian man, as a man who's very different than the other one you knew. And finally, after a few phone calls and a little bit of begging, she said yes. And sure enough, she came, and it wasn't past the first song in the service, and she just began to weep, and she cried through the entire service. And we didn't have enough napkins and Kleenex to give her, and she was just, she was broken. And she goes, I can't take all of what I know I did. I can't take all the mistakes I made. I can't take the regret and the guilt I feel when I walk into this place. 
I said, but you don't get it. There's the next part of the message. You don't get it. We can't sit before God and go, oh, I'm just as good as God is. We sit before God and go, oh, I've missed it. I've messed up. I've come up short. But you missed the next part. The next part says, I will comfort you. The next part says, blessed are those who mourn for they never want to go back. How many of you want to go back to the pain you were in, the most gut-wrenching pain you ever felt over regret or remorse? You don't want to go back. No, and we don't want to go back. We mourn that because we want it to be gone. And what happens is we want to go forward, we want to move forward. And Jesus says, I comfort you. Those who mourn the past, I don't want to go back. I want to walk with you. They receive this amazing comfort. And Jesus said, yes, I'm the God of the past. That is true. But I am a God of the present and the future. And you are in the present and I have a future for you. I'm like, Michelle, you need to know that. And she walked out the door again and again and never surrendered her life to Christ. And to this day, I still don't know. You see, that morning will come. But it's so that we can look forward. It's so that we can long for what's next. Because we have a God that said, I paid the debt and I don't hold it against you. I forgive you and now I comfort you and set you free and set you new. And I will lead and guide you in that newness, which brings us to our next one, which is this. Blessed are those who are meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who are meek, for they will inherit the earth. In that moment, that God says, I comfort you, that we have a choice. It can be as Michelle and walk out and say, no, because if you can't change everything, if you don't make it the way I want it, then no. Or in that moment, we can say, yes, I want what you have. I want the life you have for me. I want your comfort. I want your relationship. I want who you are in my life. I want your presence. I want to know you. I want to know what is right and what is wrong. I want to know what is better and best. I want to know that. I want to sense your spirit with me. I want to know that you'll never leave me or forsake me. I want to know what that's like to live that way. And so I surrender my power and my will to you. Meekness, it's strength under control. Meekness, it's strength under control. It's a word that was used to describe a wild animal that was tamed and brought under control. And it was only in that moment that it became useful to someone else. A wild animal is not useful to anyone else. Now, it might have a place in our ecosystem, but it's not useful to somebody else. You bring that animal under control, and now suddenly they're useful. Suddenly they have purpose in somebody else's life. Suddenly they add joy and they add relationship to somebody else's life. And so when we surrender our will... Because we, see, we still have that will, right? We still have the ability. We still have strength and power to come to God and go, yeah, yeah, I know I need you. I told you I need you. And yeah, I've done a lot of crummy things in the past. And so, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm really thankful you forgive me. And yeah, you comfort me because I feel comforted. And now that we're in this relationship, here's what I'm going to tell you. Happiness, this happiness you're describing, I'm so excited because I've really wanted happiness. So here's what I'm about to tell you, God, because I'm still in control and I still have power. So because of that, I'm going to exercise my power. I'm not going to bring it under your authority because my authority is the most important. So here's what it is. I, I, want, I want this job and I want this type of resources and I want this type of marriage and I want this type of kid and I want this type of relationship. And if you give me all that, well, then of course I'll be happy. And now, by the way, God, do as I say. You're like, nobody says that. Yes. Think to your own life. Think to my own life. Yes, I've said that to God. Do it my way. Blessed are those who are meek, for they will inherit the earth, is to come to God and say, your way. Your life now, Lord. It's, it's all you. I give it to you. I'm so thankful you comforted me in my morning. I'm so thankful you're showing me a new way. I'm so thankful you have a new day for me. And so I give you my life, and now you orchestrate it. You define it. You say what is right and what is best. You tell me how to get through the crummy things in life. You show me your presence and how to walk with that. 
you show me. Which then when we do that, we submit our will to him, we come to the next phase. And he says the next phase is this. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. That is literally to hunger and thirst for God. This intimate relationship with God. Remember, blessing is his presence. We're giving, king, we're giving the kingdom when we say, yes, I need you. Right? The past is gone. It's no longer who we are. In meekness, he's going to teach us how to live differently. And so to hunger and thirst for that way of living differently is to hunger and thirst for righteousness. To hunger and thirst for righteousness is to hunger and thirst for God, the intimacy with God, as well as to live God-like lives, to act like God, to be like God, to, to respond to people like God does. It is to desire that, to hunger and thirst for that righteousness. Now, we see this phrase, hunger and thirst, and we're like, yeah, you got to be hungry. You know, last week, I didn't get breakfast or lunch. By the time I got to dinner, I was hungry. Not what it's talking about. You know, yesterday, I was out working in the yard, and the humidity kicked up, and man, I was thirsty. Not what it's talking about. Literally, to hunger and thirst in such a way that the only satisfaction would be God himself. That the only satisfaction would be the very words of God. That the only satisfaction would be God's righteousness in our lives. The only satisfaction for our souls would be to know the Lord's next right step. And I gotta know, God. I'm thirsty for it. Maybe we'd Need a picture. I needed a picture. Because I've been thirsty, but I don't know if I've ever been thirsty the way this passage is describing. During the liberation of Palestine in World War I, a combined force of British, Australian, Australians, and New Zealand soldiers was closely pursuing the Turks, and they retreated as they retreated from the desert. As the Allied troops moved northward past Be Be Beersheba and began to out they began to outdistance their water. And uh, that was on a camel train behind them. When the water ran out, their mouths got dry, their heads ached, and they became dizzy and faint. Eyes became bloodshot, lips swelled and turned purple, and mirages became common. They knew that if they did not make it to the wells by nightfall, which meant they would have to push the Turks back and battle to get there, thousands of them would die as hundreds had already done. With this type of thirst, they began to fight to get to water. Literally fighting for their lives, they managed to drive the Turks and end up at the wells. As water was distributed from the great stone cisterns, the, able, the more able-bodied were required to stand at attention and wait for the wounded to drink first. It was four hours before the last man had drank. Drink that time, the men stood no more than 25 feet from thousands of gallons of water, to drink of which had been their consuming passion for many agonizing days. It is said of one of the officers that he reported this. I believe that we all learned our first real Bible lesson on the march from Beersheba to the wells. If such were our thirst for God, for righteousness, and for his will in our lives, a consuming, all-embracing, preoccupying desire, how rich in the fruit of the Spirit we would be. To be consumed by wanting God with such a thirst that we would fight our way to the Word of God each day. That we would fight our way 
through the temptations and the trials each day to be in his presence. That we would fight our way through our own desires and say, Lord, I want your next right step. Yes, I had all this planned out, but I want your next right step. That we'd be so hungry and so thirsty for righteousness. The next right thing that God wants for our life. The next right choice for us to make. The next right way to treat somebody. The next right way to give to somebody. That we would be willing to fight for our life to understand and to consume what God had for us. And his promise is simple. You will be filled. You want me, you got me. You will be filled. You want my way, I will make it clear and straight for you. You want the next right step, I will reveal it to you. Happiness? Oh, we've never tasted such a sweet taste. Today I want to introduce you to Mike and Lisa Worley who were faced with an idea of what's the next right step for them. What will be the next right step for their life? And they chose God's best for them. Let's watch this video before I introduce them to you. Our journey started as senior pastors and we were doing a series on the subject of adoption. And then we were invited to a Wait No More conference for pastors, which was helping church leaders understand foster and adoption and how your church can get involved. Uh, now we'd already raised five children and so we thought we're going to the conference to help the church and surrounding churches to mm -hmm. get a clue on God's heart you know for the fatherless and so that was our intent and little did we know uh, that God had an appointment for us. The first placement was really a shock. The Department of Human Services van pulled up to the house and there was screaming coming out of the van and we both went up to the the vehicle, I opened the, the door and he uh, screamed out, you know, F you. I mean, it was shocking. That was our beginning to foster care. And he, to be honest, he was more like an animal than he was a little boy at that point. He went through all kinds of night terrors, super big behavioral issues. He heard a siren as we were driving and went down broke out of his car seat, you know, hit, hit the ground. And I was like, what's that about? He had lived so much of his life in flight or fear, remembering his mom passing yeah. out in the bathroom for hours on end, his parents being strung out, that the only way he felt secure and a sense of peace is when things were in turmoil. So we signed up really to have our heart broken because we were aiming to help these kids get back together with their mom. We were meeting with the mom, helping her through things, and just did that process for a little over two years. Giving the kids back to the mom, uh, you know, we'll never forget that day. I mean, how do you do that? Um, you don't do it, God mm -hmm. does. We couldn't do it, mm -hmm. and it, there was grieving involved, there was great pain. But there's also this piece of knowing, you know, to the world you may be one person, but to one person you may be the world. It 
was a situation with the two children and one of them was almost killed. Went into cardiac arrest, he had to have emergency brain surgery, have blood clots removed, and it was all because of a, a beating that he received from a boyfriend of the mom. In those moments, my mommy heart was just breaking. I got to go up to Children's Hospital and uh, be with him in the room mm -hmm. and hold him with his grandma and just love on him. And he couldn't talk. All he could do was look at me with his eyes. <laughs> and before the surgery, DHS called and said, she needs to leave immediately and she will no longer be a part of this. And he looked at me when I had to say goodbye and he just cried and in his eyes, it was like, why are you leaving me? And um, probably one of the hardest moments in our lives because yeah. we didn't think we would be given that opportunity again. Mm -hmm. They said you had 1% chance that you'd ever see them again. Mm -hmm. A relative that hadn't seen the kids got those children back for the next eight or nine months. Mm -hmm. And so we were hurting for them. We wanted to help them and we weren't allowed to. phone call where we got to answer the question would you like to have Angel and Kendall come back in your home I mean for us that was a miracle the one percent <laughs> chance and that was one of the happiest days is bringing them back in our home the relative wasn't able to take care of the kids after uh, seven or eight months they were too much for him and we understood that um, <laughs> and now it's like wow we get to be able to have the kids in their beds again and have the kids come and have chocolate chip pancakes in the morning and get the routine of life back together and have them experience peace and deal with their fears in a healthy way. So after another two years of going in and out of court and working together through the system, we were asked if we'd like to adopt these two children. That big moment in the courtroom for us was when the judge had Angel and Kendall come up to the chair and he said, it is finished, you know, it's done, you know, boom. And then they watched the judge sign everything with their new names and all. It was a finalization. It's a done deal. They have a forever family now. It was a great celebration. It was a very surreal, just God reminding us that he does miracles and this is a miracle and it was a beginning to our new lives together. Not everybody is able to foster but all of us can have God's heart in doing something for the families that are helping these children out and that was life-changing for us to have a wraparound community of friends that came alongside to help with the kids and became brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles and grandparents to the children that were in our home that came alongside and shared our tears and our heartaches and our struggles and took the kids out for slurpees to give us a break for a little bit or came by and cleaned a house or provided a meal they kept us going all of us are called to love the orphans and the widows and what has God called you to do. We thought we had the story written, God had a different story.
love that part at the end where he said, it is, he said, the judge said, it is finished. Wrote it down. New family. That's what Jesus says about us. That's what it means to come to him and say, Lord, I need you. And he says, it is finished. You're mine. You're adopted into the family. I won't leave you. I won't let you go. And Mike and Lisa, on a different path, doing something different, went to a conference, thought they were just going to be helping the church. And God said, really, you want to know the next right step? Are you pursuing me, Mike? Because I'll show you. And he did with Mike and Lisa and gave them the next right step. And blessings have followed and hard times have been there. And uh, before they tell you a little bit more about their story, I just need to let you know a little bit more about who they are to me. And Mike and Lisa are the, uh, <clears throat> the first couple that has uh, walked alongside of Chris and I as we became Christians. They were the pastors that mentored us and trained us in ministry. And um, Farron, we were talking, and you said, you have, a, you have a guy in your life, just a guy that you trust that's always in your corner. I do. And his name's Mike. And um, I've got to watch these guys, and I've been doing ministry with them for quite a while, and they, uh, um, they've seen me through some difficult times, some stubborn times, some times where I haven't been willing to say yes to Jesus, and they loved us all the same. And... Uh, Mike, tell us more about how this whole thing got going. Yeah, to the world you may be one person, you know. But to one person, you may be the world. And so we started a little organization called Beautiful Redemption uh, to build uh, a connection between the church and the state. You see, we need we saw the need to come alongside as the church to meet the needs of these kids. And in some cases, it's prevention. In some cases, it's foster care. Some cases, it's aging out. But the church has been pretty silent. So we began going to churches and raising awareness for foster care, encouraging foster uh, parents, sure, and asking people to help with wraparound, sure. But then we partnered with another organization, and they have a tool called Care Portal. In fact, you have a sign on the back of your wall in the missions area that says Global Orphan Project. Care Portal is the United States' um, emphasis of helping with needy children uh, through Care Portal uh, with the Global Orphan Project. So what they've done is they have um, created this system. Get this. Um, Child welfare fills out a request. They put it on an email. The email may be for a car seat or for a bunk bed, whatever the particular need is. It goes out to churches that would like to participate with Care Portal. And then somebody just hits on their computer or on their phone that little orange button that says, I want to respond to that need. And the need gets met. So it's equipping the, the church to go further and deeper in discipleship by serving and meeting a, a specific need. The church is always great at responding to needs when it knows the needs. The issue is oftentimes we really don't know the needs. We'd do something if we knew what we needed to do. This puts it right on your email in the specific need. So in Colorado Springs, uh, we've recruited through our presentations like this, uh, 31 churches now. And as of yesterday, we served our 2,000 
500th child in the last 22 months. Yeah, yeah it's pretty exciting. So, and if we look tired all the time, uh, we are. Um, Lisa will tell you a little bit uh, about Caleb. Yeah. Yeah. So in the video, you saw that Angel and Kendall um, went home to be with their bio mom. And in between that time, we were just heartbroken. And we didn't know the future. We didn't even know if we could go forward in foster care. And God just pretty much hit us on the head and said, yeah, you will go. And so we said, well, let's open our heart up to a baby because we're too old. They will not consider us for adoption. So we thought we will um, have a baby into our home. It and was then, really safe, right? Yeah, it was yeah. really safe. <laughs> so we went to the hospital and brought home this two-day-old baby boy who was half Colombian. His parents had lived on the street. He um, had fetal alcohol and um, dr drug addiction. And so we brought him home in pretty much a, a couple weeks, turned into a couple months. And six months later, um, with no family um, rising to take him, they asked us if we would consider adopting um, Caleb. And we had almost uh, raised five biological children. So I was done. <laughs> so um, we, on our 30th wedding anniversary, chose to um, adopt our now son, Caleb. Um, his name is Caleb Jeffrey Worley. Yeah, and it's really interesting where, mm -hmm. by, yeah, 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 pray for him, man. He's got some serious uh, mental issues and behavioral issues. Uh, it's not easy, yeah, uh, in the space that we've moved into. But uh, so we, we're parents of five biological children, okay? We've been foster parents and then adopted. We're adoptive parents of three and now grandparents of four. So we don't know what we are half the time. <laughs> And our six-year-old son is an uncle to our five-year-old granddaughter. So it's, doesn't it sound like a bad country song or something? You know, it's like, he that's loves just. to tell everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm uncle, you know. And we're like, oh, no, you're nuts. So, yeah. But we love him. So, anyway, yeah. So what does that mean for us? Why, why are we talking about all this? Number one, it is, Lord. I hunger and thirst for righteousness. What is the next right thing you have for my life? What's the next right way? I hunger and thirst for you and the right way you have for me to live. It's always going to be according to him and according to his plans. We submit ourselves through that meekness. Lord, it's your life. Our past is done and we're living this way now. And that's where we're going to find fulfillment. That's where we're going to find our lives truly fulfilled in this happiness that's been promised to us is when we're obedient to that next right step. Heard Mike and Lisa say that it's not easy, but there, you shared last service yeah. about being filled up. Yeah, you, you know, you sign up to have your heart broken. It's going to be broken one way or the other, right? Um, but our hearts are filled. I mean, our lives are filled. And now that we've helped 2,500 more children um, in our particular county, now we're looking at, our, our, you know, the future, and we're asking, wow, would God want to use the local church to impact 10,000 children? We think so. And so, yeah, our hearts are, are, you know, we're filled to overflowing, tired all the time, yeah. And, um, you know, it, it's challenging sometimes. Uh, but God's doing his work, and we get to be a part of that. And 
see churches come alongside and give their emails and, you know, connect up and, and meet needs of kids in their own community like every single day. And the wonderful thing that I just want to encourage you about as your church gets involved in foster care and potentially something like what we're doing called Care Portal is um, we're all called to do something, but we're not all called to do the same thing. So please don't feel that when you open your heart up, God's going to call you to adopt three children when you've been married for 30 years. But we all can do something. Yeah, please don't do it. <laughs> so, all right? yeah, and, um, yeah. But the big thing is, as you get the opportunities, you get to plant seeds of Jesus. And that was our heart's desire when we, as a, a family of four at the time, we had two junior high kids um, at home that were left. And we decided as a family, how are we going to touch people for Jesus? And for us, God took us into foster care. But for, for you, it may be just um, meeting that one need or coming alongside a foster family. But you get to share the love of Jesus. And that child might never know um, the impact until this side of eternity that you've had in his life. So I would just encourage you not to be afraid, but just to step out and see what God does. Because once you step out, it's limitless. <laughs> so what's the next right step for us as a church? We've been meeting with a coalition for uh, foster and adoptive um, parents and families and how to help them and how to walk alongside of the system and all sorts of things like that. And uh, we have committed as a church to having a night out for foster parents that will happen on December 1st. I literally need you to pull out your phones and mark off December 1st because the only way we can do this is with everybody in our church stepping up to do it. Look, when we take, have our moment of joy, money will be there because God's just going to take it and use it and bless us and direct our funds. We're not worried about that. What we need is we need us to be willing to respond to people. So what happens is there's a night where the foster families get to drop off their kids and then they get to go out for a date. And what's going to happen is churches around the area are going to provide gift cards and ways for them to, to go and just bless them and thank them for taking care of these kids and loving them. And then we're going to take care of their kids and just be with them for the evening and just bless them and love them to death, okay? And then the other thing we're going to do is we're starting to explore. Care Portal is not in Virginia, but it needs to be. And so we're starting to explore as we're working with other churches. Can we bring it here? And what's that going to look like? And Mike's walking with us through that process of what that might be. And there's a whole lot of churches starting to get really, really excited about being able to be used in people's lives. So again, while we're not all called to the same thing, we all have to constantly ask, what is the next right thing? And Lord, if I hunger and pursue after your hunger and thirst for your righteousness, you're going to fill me up. You're going to show me what that next right thing is. Mike and Lisa, we want to give you guys this. And you would use this for your ministry. You would use this to bless more kids. You would use this. This is a gift from our, um, our missions. And what we've done is we've set money aside each year to say, Lord, we won't attach this to anybody until you show us who to give it to. So thank you. Father, thank you. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for this amazing couple. Thank you for the way that they have surrendered their life to you. So long ago, they came to you poor in spirit, and they said, we need you. They mourn the past, but they look to the future. And Father, they have humbly said to you, not my will. I bring myself under your authority. I place myself under your leadership. And they search, and they thirst, and they hunger each day for, for the next right step, and you've given it to them. And I thank you for the way that you're pouring them out into other churches and other peoples from this side of the country to the other side of the country, the way you're using them, the incredible honor they're going to get this week as they're being honored for their service in our capital. Father, I thank you for them. 
I thank you for all you're doing. And Father, use us at this church in such amazing ways. Each, each individual person here and their family as they seek the next right thing from you, Lord. And may we hunger after it. And may you be the only thing that will satisfy our desires. In your name we pray. Amen.